All righty, we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Who needs a Bible? Raise your hand. They'll bring one right to you because they've got some, and we want you to have God's Word. If you need to, you can keep it. We want people reading God's Word, and in the next few weeks and months, we're going to be in Matthew 10, 11, 12, and 13. So in Matthew 10, Jesus is, you know, he's, it's kind of at the beginning of something new. He had been teaching, doing miracles, and uh, telling parables, proclaiming God's um, Away, and then he gets his disciples together and says, well, you guys have been watching. Now we're going to send you out two by two. He wants them to go out and to proclaim God's good news to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and that the kingdom of God is near, that uh, God is, get ready because God's coming to visit you. And so Jesus chooses fully devoted followers who could be laborers in his harvest field to go and to bring other people to Jesus and to tell the good news. And it's kind of like on that little chart that we were looking at, the whole reach and bringing people to the, uh, the foot of the cross to, to bring them to Christ. And it's uh, one of the things that we could get stronger at as a church of being people who share our story and share the story of Christ in us with the people around us, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. So Jesus chooses people and he sends them out. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that they will go out into the harvest field. So what does Jesus expect from his followers? Just by way of review from last week, he expects their trust and their obedience. And he expects them to go proclaim the good news. And he explains to them, you, you're going to do some miracles in the process at times. What does Jesus expect for his followers? Well, he expects them to be misunderstood at times, maligned, to suffer ridicule, unfair treatment, even persecution. Suffering has been part of the Christian experience. We don't talk about it often. It makes us uncomfortable even to talk about it. But it is true that suffering is part of the Christian experience. It's all through the Bible, and it started with Jesus. He suffered for you and for me. And Jesus tells his followers, expect it. Don't be surprised when you suffer on account of the, of the, the fact that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and you tell other people about it. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. In fact, we've been having a class uh, this month. There's going to be two more Wednesdays at 10 o'clock where Pastor Ron Klein, who's an expert on world missions, is going to be talking about what is God doing in this portion of the world or this portion of the world. And so that's at 10 o'clock on Wednesdays. Come join him and me because uh, I'm learning a plenty. But Ron told a story about talking to a Chinese pastor who came up to him somewhere around the world and said to him, have you ever been to prison? And Ron said, well, no. And the Chinese pastor was shocked. He said, well, are you a Christian? <laughs> and he was shocked that Ron was a Christian, but he'd never been put in prison. So he asked, well, have you ever seen Jesus? And Ron said, well, no. And then to kind of quickly recover, he said, have you ever seen Jesus? And the, the Chinese pastor said, yes, I have. I was in prison and I saw Jesus after being locked up and beaten and tortured and lying on the bare ground of my cell, I saw Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to me. See, the very thing that we American Christians are afraid of, this pastor saw as a great honor, to suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul says the same. To you has been given in not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, that Christian sufferings fill up or complete the sufferings of Christ. Another Christian from the suffering church was asked what he thought of American Christians, and he said, oh, they're soft, and their commitment is shallow. So it's time we toughen up and know that this could be coming our direction. And Jesus is getting his disciples ready to go share the good news and to receive in return hostility and rejection and persecution. Why would you do that? 
Well, because of the reward. The reward is worth the price. The reward is, well, I'll tell you later about the reward. So the question we're looking at, how do followers of Christ respond to the threat of persecution? And the answer is that Jesus empowers his followers to persevere for the benefit of others. And that going all in on Christ sets up this new paradigm for encountering trouble. I mean, we live in an age of relativism in our world. There is nothing in our day and age that's lifted up as an absolute except maybe tolerance. And what is true for me doesn't have to be true for you anymore. Or so the world tries to tell us. That my truth and your truth don't, aren't necessarily the same. But you could see how this would be in direct conflict with Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is much more exclusive than just you do your thing, I'll do mine, and let's not bother each other. What Jesus is trying to do with his followers, those who are laboring in the harvest field to help bring the good news of Jesus to people, is to fill them with courage in the cause of truth, to help them overcome any fears of speaking the truth, to help them be bold and courageous and unswayed by popular opinion. Somebody else said fear is the polio of the soul. The polio of the soul, because it can cripple our courage. It can cause us to be weak and ineffective when we need to be bold and clear and strong. We need to exercise our courage. And the polio has largely been cured in this world. And our fear as believers needs to be cured as well and through the exercise of our faith that God's going to use us. And sometimes for Christians, that has included suffering. Now, we're going to look, we're kind of breaking in the middle of Jesus' talk. It was long enough, we split it into two Sundays. So we looked at part one last week, chapter 10, verses 1 to 25, and today we're starting on verse 26. I want you to notice how many times Jesus says, do not fear. He said that a lot of times to his followers. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he would ask him, why didn't you do what I told you? Oh, because we were scared. You know, so look at verse 26. Have no fear of them the people who would persecute you, because nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light what you've heard whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Our job is to proclaim the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Are you afraid to speak out for Jesus? Because if so, you wouldn't be alone. Probably every person here who loves Jesus can look back at a situation where they were in a conversation and they knew they had an opportunity to say something about Jesus, but they also knew that if they said anything, it would make them the loner or the odd man out or the minority or the one out of step. So we stayed silent. It's time to speak up. You may not be aware, but we sent a mission team to Cuba last year because... Uh, uh, Cuba has opened as an opportunity. There's a door of opportunity for people who've been starving for the gospel to hear the good news. And they can receive it now without fear of reprisal. And so the pastors that are there and have labored under persecution have said, how, how many people could you bring here to talk about Jesus, to tell us the good news, to teach us the things we need to know, to help us to grow in our faith? And so we sent a team last year and they said, please come back. So we're going to send two different teams this year and they've been getting ready and getting prepared. One with Pastor Derek and one with Pastor Micah. So a mom and her 10-year-old girl are, are very excited about going on this trip. And so this week, the two of them went down to Costco to get their passport pictures. So while they're in Costco taking their pictures, the photographer, who's not a Christian, said, why are you going to Cuba? Well, the mom's kind of slightly embarrassed. I mean, she didn't want to say. She didn't want to trap the guy. She didn't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But her daughter is 10 years old. She didn't wait. She just stepped forward. She says, we are going to Cuba to tell people about the love of God. 
Well, that started a whole conversation with the photographer. Now, let me ask you, do you think it's harder to share your faith in Cuba or in Costco? <laughs> no, I'm serious. How many would vote for Cuba? How many vote for Costco? Yeah, that's because you go there <laughs> for the free lunch. I mean, do you, do, you, do you tend to be more like the mom or like the daughter? Oh, I better not say anything. That might step on somebody's toes. Or I'm going to just tell them, let the chips fall where they may. Well, the same scene replayed itself with the checker, checking the mom and daughter out. And just in getting her passport, this 10-year-old girl, which the Bible says the children will lead us, this child found ways to confidently share the good news of Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Declare my truth. Say it out loud. Don't just whisper it to people who agree with you. Let your voice be heard by people who disagree. In Jesus' day and age, they did a lot of things on the roof of their houses. A lot of them were flat or near flat. And he's saying, you know, say it from the housetop. It was a great spot to gather a crowd together and to say, i got to tell you about Jesus. Let your voice be heard by people who disagree. Because we have the truth. And the truth has a way of always being found out. The truth is always going to win in the end. And Jesus says, don't whisper it. Shout it from the housetops. Let everybody know. Because you will know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth will set you free. Truth always wins. And in the end, the people who have hung on to the truth and clung to the truth will be vindicated. We will hear well done from God. Our job is to proclaim the truth. And there will be consequences when the people we live around don't necessarily want to know the truth, especially if it inconveniences them or would force them to change something in their life. But God has given us the truth, and Jesus said, share it without fear. After all, what's the worst that they can do? Look what he says, verse 28. The second time he says, do not fear. Do not fear those who can kill your body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can both destroy your soul and put your body in hell. We live with this fear that if we speak up for Christ, bad things are going to happen. And Jesus said, the worst your enemies can do is kill you. That's it. And when your body dies, your spirit doesn't die. You go on to stand before God. So what's the worst that can happen to you? Dying for Jesus in the cause of sharing his truth is not the worst. Getting to the heaven and God saying, I don't know you. And spending eternity away from God would be a whole lot worse so if you can only pick one to have the praise of men and women of our day and age or to have the praise of God, one is so fleeting and the other is forever. Which one would you choose? See, people can only take your life on this earth. God would determine where your soul is going to spend eternity. So keep your eyes on the prize and fear not. And besides that, look how much God loves you. Look at he says, verse 29. I mean, we are constantly in God's care. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are not one of them, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. <laughs> I like that. Let's see. We think we're so important. How many little birds are you worth? Two for a penny. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus is claiming God as his Father and as our Father if we've been adopted into his family. He's basically saying he is related to God. He is God. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. 
He's saying, don't be afraid to speak up and speak the truth because God is paying very close attention to everything you do, everything about you. God will not miss a detail. He notices when little birdies fall out of the nest. He's got every hair on your head numbered and the number changes every day. So don't fear. God's close and he cares and he knows every detail of your life, your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, your motives, your fears, your inconsistencies, uh, your, your frustrations, your joys, and he loves you still. He's involved and he's engaged and he's asking you to speak on his behalf. And God knows that we as fully devoted followers of Jesus will be out of step with the world that we live in. And this will cause some friction, some ridicule, some rejection. So don't cave in to the popular opinions of our day because God's truth will prevail and it will last forever. And we want to be on the right side of this when it really matters most. And that is when you see Jesus face to face. So let me ask you, what's your biggest fear about sharing Jesus? Is it not knowing what to say first? How do you get the conversation started? Is it not knowing how to defend your faith once questions start coming? It's okay to say, I don't know. It's also okay to get more education and information on this, like the class that we're offering right now. I mean, we can take courage from each other and from reading the words of Jesus that warn us, expect to be rejected. He was rejected. Why wouldn't we be? So Jesus promises when we get in a tight spot, to provide the words that we need. And we also can do preparation in advance. Now, anybody that was here last week, in talking about this, I said, get ready, write your testimony down. Three paragraphs, one piece of paper. Here's what life was before I came to Christ. Here's how I came to Christ. Here's my life in Christ. Okay, it's true confessions. Progress reports will not be sent home. Who wrote their testimony this week? Praise God for one. Two. I see two hands. Thank you. Okay. Who's ever done it in their whole life? Okay. A lot more. So I would like you to email it to me this week. I still want you to do the assignment. You'll get half credit because it's late, but no, I'm just kidding on that part, okay? You'll get full credit. Write your testimony so that you've got it ready. Share it with me or with some other sympathetic audience so that you're getting ready so you know how to tell the story. Make it as simple as you possibly can. Short sentences. Here's what I, life was without Jesus. Here's how I came to Christ. Here's my life in Christ. Practice it on me. Email it to me. That way I'll know if you did it or not. It's easy. My email's right there in the bulletin. Our courage and our obedience to God is a big deal to God. I mean, think about it. What's the point of having people you call your followers if they don't follow that would be as pointless as telling a hair-raising story to a bald-headed man. Right? It'd be pointless. I mean, seriously, we, this week we took 20 people to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. It is well worth seeing. you got to go. Top to bottom, eight stories telling the story of how God gave his word to this world and how it moved through different languages and how we got it in English and what it's like in Israel today and on and on and the impact of the gospel in America and, in fact, a whole uh, section on Billy Graham and, and lifting that up right now. But on this trip, oh, Cindy, my wife, got in this discussion with one of our bus drivers and he asked for some reason about hair products and they went on and on, the two of them, talking about this while he's driving about how you make your hair grow healthier. But in my view, it was pointless. He's completely bald. <laughs> so if Jesus would look at you and me and say, I've talked over and over and over and over. I've given my word. I say, get ready. I say, tell the good news. And we do nothing. We deny we know him. At some point, the Bible says, he'll say, I don't, I don't know you. 
What's the point of having followers who don't follow? There is none. Look at Jesus said, verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. This has been a problem since God began sharing his truth with sinful people. It was for Jesus, it was for his followers, for the early church still to this day. In fact, Paul was a pastor who was helping a younger pastor, wrote Timothy a letter and he said this in 2 Timothy 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Jesus calls his followers then and now to be people of courage who pro proclaim the truth, even if it's out of style. And it will not allow us to stay secret, and it will involve sacrifice. So get ready. I mean, look at verse 34. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. This section, by the way, is, is not for the, the timid or the weak. This is strong Christian teaching that Jesus is giving right here to people who've been with him for a while. So this is not the first grade material. You got to grow up to get this, okay? Look at verse 35. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus starts this section by saying, I have come, not I was born. And he's basically saying he had a life before this earth and he came into this world in a little body of a baby and grew up to be a person so that he could share the story with us. But he came with a purpose to live life that is truly life and then die so that you and I could live like that. Somebody once said that preaching should be intended to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And Jesus is trying to afflict the comfortable right here who think, oh, I've got it made. I've asked Jesus into my life and it's all just supposed to be easy street from here. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not all sugar and cream. In fact, his word is like a sword. It says there's going to be conflict. A sword divides and so does the truth. The sword, the truth could divide even families. I think we should compare notes more often and pray for families that are divided by Jesus. Most of our families are probably that way with somebody in it who loves Jesus and somebody who doesn't. And the conflict that that can create in a home. At our last men's breakfast, the speaker talked about honor in the ancient world in the days of Jesus and how the father was the head of the household so he would be the most honored person in the home. And here's Jesus demanding that the honor and affection given to him is higher than that that you would give to your dad or to your mom or the person you most respect in this world. He's saying that you would give higher honor to Jesus, that, that his place would be the number one in your heart and in your life, ahead of your children, ahead of your sons, your daughters, or your grandchildren, that Jesus wants to be, must be, the number one priority. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. See, Jesus, uh, he understood how you could get sideways with your family. He did it. He was 12 years old when they took him to Jerusalem. You can read this in Luke chapter 2. 
He had his bar mitzvah. I think he assumed, I'm an adult now. I just got recognized as an adult. We celebrated that. It is time to start my ministry. And he stayed right there in the temple, and his parents headed for home. Mom thinks he's walking with dad because he's with all the men, and mom, dad thinking he's with mom because Jesus is always, you know, the children were always with the women. And they get out there a day, and they can't find him. They look for him for three days, and they come back. They finally find him in the temple, last place they look. And Jesus' mom says to him, son, why did you do this to us? We've been looking for you for three days. And Jesus said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? But then the Bible says he put himself in subjection to his parents. He went home, and he had less than perfect parents, but he, he honored them with his life. And he didn't leave home till he was 30 years old. Somewhere in there, his dad died, we presume, and he must have had to run the family business to keep body and soul together. But at some point at 30, he finally said, I have to go do the thing for which God sent me into this world. And he left the business to his other four brothers and and the family, and he went out to be an evangelist. And he began to do miracles and to preach, and then he came home to Nazareth, and he preached a sermon there, and it was a bomb. They got so mad, they took him out to the edge of town to throw him off a cliff. And he moved from uh, Nazareth to Capernaum. You can read that. It's in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus uh, continued to preach and to teach and to do miracles, and reports kept going back to Nazareth. And people there were all in a stir. And finally it says in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus' mother and his brothers came to get him and retrieve him and to bring him back to Nazareth because they thought he was, and the Greek word is lunatic, which in English means lunatic, which means crazy. All right? They thought he had gone crazy, and they're going to come to get him, to take him home with them. In fact, in John chapter 7, even after that event, because Jesus said, well, who's my mother and who's my brother? But those who hear God's word and do it. And he placed doing God's work above his family obligations. John 7, his brothers mock him because a big feast is coming up in Jerusalem and they're about 50 miles away. And they say, hey, if you're really going to be the Messiah, you better get on down to Jerusalem for that big feast. And he says to them, you guys can go when you want to. My time has not yet come. See, if you have an allegiance to Jesus that's true and sincere, Jesus is telling us, tell somebody about it. Share your faith, and it will cause you family problems. And you're going to have to choose who you love more, Jesus or your family, Jesus or this world. Love Jesus more than your father or mother or son or daughter? Well, do you? Do I? Because allegiance to Jesus has a cost. There's a sacrifice. In fact, Jesus says, verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We've taken a cross and we turn it into pretty jewelry. And I understand that, but a cross was a crude instrument for a cruel death. They had all seen condemned people because in their day and age, you didn't, they didn't put people to death privately like we do. They made a mockery of them. They would walk them the longest way from where they were condemned to where they were going to be put to death on a cross so everybody could see them walking naked, dragging their cross, and finally nailed to the cross to die. And Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. People carrying a cross would have a murder of soldiers surrounding them. It was a one-way journey. You were in a committed position. You'd played all your options. Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. Then he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We ask, what's my life about? What's my purpose in life? What would make me happy? And if you find a life that works without Christ, you will still lose it one day at a time. It will be like a handful of sand with the sand running through your fingers like down at the beach until you finally run out. 
But if you lose your life for Christ, you will truly find it, both in fulfillment here and now, both in the peace and the joy the Lord can bring into your heart and in heaven forever. So what happens when people say yes and take up the challenge of fully following Jesus? Well, look at verse 40. He says, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. He's saying God's watching and even the smallest little kindness in the name of Jesus will be noticed, will be noted, and will be rewarded by Jesus. Jesus said in verse 40, that the him who sent me, God sent Jesus on a mission. And Jesus is sending his followers on a mission. And he sends us on a mission. And we've been talking about a lot about getting ready to, to, to suffer or a willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. And some people go and share Christ and suffer. And some people just keep sharing Christ. And you know what? People hear them and they respond positively to the message and receive Christ. And that has its own sweet reward when you've talked for, for weeks or months or years or decades to the same person. And finally they say, I need Jesus in my heart. And they ask Jesus to become their Savior and their Lord. And they begin to realize Jesus forgives their sin and gives, fills their life with purpose and has a place for them in heaven. See, the only, a relationship with Jesus is the only way to heaven. You're not going to get into heaven on your good looks. You're not going to get into heaven on uh, what you know or who you know in this world. Your wealth will be meaningless at that point. And what you accomplished here won't be all that impressive. And the only way to get into heaven is to ask Jesus into your heart and life to be your Savior and your boss. And what he has told us today is not for the faint of heart or for the people who just want security or a warm fuzzy. So it really is time to put on your big girl or your big boy pants and follow Jesus. And realizing that, come what may, Jesus says you don't have to fear. That you will run into trouble, but he will be with you. He will give you words to say in the moment that you need them. Now, here's one of the funniest things that I think in this story. Matthew spends this entire long chapter getting the disciples ready to go out two by two. And then I guess he, he never got around to telling us how long they were gone or what happened while they were gone, or when they came back, what they had to say when they came back. I guess all of that's waiting for heaven, for when we get to heaven and say, well, tell us what happened. Jesus got you all ready for this. Did you, did you have a good time? Were there, did you have an unscripted adventure? Did you get to talk to people? Did anybody respond positively to your message? But there's a story in Luke, it's in chapter 10, very, very similar, some of the, even the same words, except that instead of sending 12 disciples out two by two, Jesus sent out 72 disciples two by two. And in Luke 10, verse 17, it says this, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus, you gave us the power. We went out there, we did miracles, we told the good news. People were responding. And he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, that's God's power. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing's going to hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's the only thing. Is your name written in heaven? Does Jesus say, you stood up for me and I'm standing up for you? 
You did not deny me in the world, and I will not deny you. He'll lean, and when he sees you coming to the gate of heaven, he'll lean over to his dad and say, this one's one of mine. Bring him in here. I mean, our greatest reward, are you ready, is Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be with Jesus, to have Jesus' spirit inside us to guide us, to befriend us, to care, to, to encourage us, to invite us to share heaven with him forever, to know his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness and his self-control. I mean, you remember falling in love, don't you? I mean, think way back, come on. I mean, it changes how you think and how you talk and how you dress and how you sleep and how you eat and what matters to you and what you consider valuable. And Jesus is hopelessly in love with you and he is inviting you into a love relationship. Where would you find the courage to suffer for Jesus? In knowing that you are loved by Jesus who went all in for you and Jesus who invites you to go all in for him. He is the reward, Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you tell us. Thank you for what we know about you. Thank you for how the challenge. Thank you for the warnings of what could be ahead. I pray that uh, we as individuals and as a church will recognize there could be days where we have to stand and defend our faith and stand and tell the story even if it's unpopular. And I pray that you will give us that courage. And I thank you for Jesus, that he did that for us. So since you died for us, may we live for you and to hear you say, well done, welcome home, amen.